Hey there, podcast listener. Welcome to The Upfront Investor, the show where each and every week I give you all the very latest information on what's happening in the Australian share market. For more information, products, services, and detailed show notes with a transcript for this podcast, head over to wealthwithin.com.au and click on the News and Media tab in the navigation. Now let's get into it. Hello and welcome to The Upfront Investor. I'm Dale Gillam, the Chief Analyst here at Wealth Within. Today's podcast, I'd actually really like to chat about floats or backdoor listings, reverse takeovers, and whether they're good or uh, or a good buy or whether they're a good buy in terms of saying goodbye to your money. Now, over the, and the reason why I want to talk about it is because over the last few weeks, I've been asked by, or been asked several times by various people in the media to com- comment on floats backdoor listings and reverse takeover so it seems to be all this talk is a bit um, there's a lot of talk around town about stuff like this and especially uh, in the top of the government's plan to float or to sell off Medibank uh, which was in the media only last week again I was reading so uh, in the, in the, on the subject of Medicare I mean it's pretty easy the sums are simple for the government as the Medicare float um, is in is anticipated to inject around four billion billion dollars into the government's coffers if it floats or when it floats Medibank um, private um, but uh, which is which is really really good if you want to pay off your debt which is a country we really do need to do and four billion dollars is not a bad little kicker in the coffers is it really but uh, I'd really argue why selling something or selling off something that makes you a lot of money uh, and to me it doesn't that sort of to me it's really dumb there's long-term benefits of owning a very profitable business like Medibank far outweigh those of the short term paying of paying some interest on our debt um, but I do understand that we really do need to retire some debt as a country but you know, in the end when you sell off Medibank what else are you going to sell you know, when you get more debt and that's really where you know, to me there's lots of arguments whether what the government should have and, and I've always been a proponent you know, the, bank, the, the government should own a bank um, to create competition to the banks and the government should own out essential services such as um, communications and power and those sorts of things too. So, And I know that we've been, I wouldn't say lied to, but misled every time they want to sell something off. They say it'll, it'll result in lower costs, but every single thing they've ever done, it's yeah, the, whoever's bought it or the, the, the actual floating of it has actually pushed the prices up. But um, however, I've actually digressed from what I actually wanted to talk about today. And today, um, to me, it was about, as I said, floats or reverse listings and or backdoor listings and reverse takeovers. But first, what is a float? And what's a backdoor listing? And, and what's a reverse takeover? Because they're all similar sounding or they're similar um, things, but they're not actually the same thing. Now, the floats are essentially uh, when a privately held company uh, decides that it would like its share price quoted on the Australian Securities Exchange or the ASX. Now, so why would a company want to do that? Um, and uh, sorry, so what a private company? Something I mean, wealth within is a private company, and so we may choose to float on the ASX. Now, uh, that would be some choice we'd do it. But why would we actually do that? And there's a couple of well, there's a few main reasons, or a few reasons, but the main two that I want to share with you is one is the current shareholders or owners want to take capital out of the business or even exit the business. So, for example, if I decided that I wanted to you know, get capital out of wealth within or, you know, um, 
exit wealth within, so to speak, I could offer the company up um, as, a, as a company float. Go and talk to a broker and say, hey, look, I want to float on the stock exchange. They're going to rub their hands together and say, great, I'm going to make lots of money. And then they'll promote the float to their their clients um, and they'll underwrite that float and then sell the sell all the shares or some of the shares or whatever uh, the amount of shares that we want to sell, how we worked it out. And then the money comes in and then pretty much uh, the owner of that company will then get the shares. So that's one way if the shareholders want to take their capital out of business. The second one being is that being listed on the Australian Securities Exchange means that you can undertake capital raisings much, much more easier, easier, if I say that correctly, than you could as a private company. For example, as a private company, if I wanted to go out there and borrow, let's say, $5 million dollars, uh, and went to a bank, I'd be paying interest to the bank, which is, you know, as a, sh- if somebody's buying shares or buying off a float, then you're not paying somebody interest. That's a difference there. So, but going to a bank as a private company, they're going to be charging you interest. And secondly, the bank wants security of that. So they want to put up, you know, they want you to put up your house or a few other things um, to get borrowing as a business. So it's much easier to raise capital if you're a listed company. You just issue more shares and get the money coming in again. So they're the two main reasons why a company would float. Now, backdoor listings. Now, these are really where a private company doesn't really want to go through all the time and expense required in floating on the share market, but still wants to become a listed company. So what they do is buy a dormant listed entity that has been suspended from the Australian Securities Exchange, which are normally things like small mining companies or exploration companies. Now, once they buy into that company, they then change its name and then applied to the ASX to have that company reactivated or relisted um, on the ASX, which is not hard to do. There's quite a lot of them at the moment. If you go to the floats coming up in the ASX, you go to the ASX website, asx.com.au, and you can go into floats for the coming month. There's a few of them in there, and there's been a couple in the news more recently. As I said, I've been asked to comment um, from it. Now, once this occurs, the company can then go to the market and raise capital, which is generally the reason that companies, why would they go through a backdoor listing, is they want to get into the ASX and then come out and do a float to raise money to um, expand their business, uh, whatever it is. Reverse takeovers are really, really similar to backdoor listings. However, in this case, it involves a private company taking over a listed one, which is the opposite of what naturally or normally occurs. Normally, a listed company will buy buy, buy out private companies, absorb them into the listed entity. In this case, it's the opposite where a private company says, no, I want to buy a listed entity and take it off the market. We've seen a few of those in, more, uh, in the last few years where companies have been delisted off the exchange that, uh, that we would know. And off the top of my head, I can't think of any, but if I had one in the top of my head, I'd be able to tell you which ones they are. But we've seen that happen a few times over the last few years. But it is similar to a backdoor listing. But uh, basically, as I said, the, it's a private company taking over a listed one. Um, and whilst this is opposite, what they would generally do is then also change the name of the listed company in the process. So that's really how they would do it. Whilst all of what I've just said is is really high level in terms of the information I'm giving, it really does give you a general idea of what those three areas are about. So if you read about them, you'll understand a little bit more about how they actually work. However, from a, a perspective or perspective of a trader investor is buying into these types of things good for you because at the end of the day obviously the first one is a float 
uh, and they're looking for retail investors and or wholesale investors or institutional investors to, to buy in. The other two, backdoor listings and reverse takeovers, in most cases I would suggest companies are going there so they can raise capital. So therefore then they would again be going out to the market as investors to get more money from get money from investors and that's what they'd be doing it. So it really needs to you really need to have a look at this sort of thing if you're um, being approached by your broker to actually invest in something like this. Uh, and so to me in plain and simple terms, history has constantly showed us that floats often fall well or well short of investor expectations, particularly in the month after this year or after the fanfare um, has faded, yet investors listen to the marketing hype of these big brokers underwriting the next big float. And as such, investors seem to continue to want to line up for a piece of the action and hope they're, they're making their cash windfall. Now, traders also often get caught up in the marketing hype, and they try and do what they call stagging a profit. Um, and I've many stories about uh, I hear of people turning and burning on this type of exercise in stagging profits. Stagging profits is really when you buy into a float and the day or the days after the float, the actual listing on the exchange. So you actually buy off the prospectus, buy into the float, and then try and stag it on a uh, the first few days where hopefully people come in to buy more of the share that because they didn't get enough on the float. Let's say if the float was oversubscribed, some people try and get their um, portfolio weightings up by buying more, and that's called stagging profits. Um, I've got a lot of um, interesting stories about that, and some people have lost a lot of money by trying to do that. Now, some investors buy into floats to avoid the brokerage. However, months after the float, the share price often trades at considerably less than what they paid. So how is this really a saving? And, and it's common, and more than 50% of floats are trading below their float price within 12 months, um, and it's so common. So therefore, it's almost like flipping a coin. Some go up. Um, straight away and, and they'll keep going up but half of them will go the other way. Um, in my opinion floats are high risk investments compared to good quality shares with a track record because it, uh, number one it's really difficult to accurately assess the real price or demand for a company until the buyers and sellers have set the price in an open market following the float. So this open price meaning on the market in on the ASX. Because uh, to me, is, is you can speculate all you like about prices, but until one person hands over money for something, then the price is not set. Now, the information provided in floats is mainly marketing hype surrounded by some fundamental information and background on the company designed to get you to part with your money so those pushing the float get paid. You remember these prospectuses, whilst they're lodged with the ASIC, it doesn't mean ASIC approved them, it just means they've followed a compliance but a lot of the stuff in there is marketing hype, get you to get excited about the company. So you uh, go in there, send your check off, so to speak, and, and buy the shares on the float so the broker gets paid. The broker really doesn't care whether you make money or not as long as they're getting the money um, from getting that float up and running and getting um, uh, making sure that company lists because they get bonuses for exit amounts and there's all sorts of things that go on behind the scenes that we don't really know about but their job is to get that float happening number two the statistics show that more than 50 percent of floats trade below their price after 12 months therefore as i said um it is hit and miss depending on which one you pick uh, and number three there are many examples on the, uh, the share market of well-known companies large and small such as telstra especially the t2 float and the t3 float um insure nrma amp prime example i mean the first day it went up to floated it lost uh, listed on the came onto the asx about 22 went up to 45 and came right back down to 22.50 i think in the first couple of days 
and then from then on proceeded to keep falling for years. Um, and so it was a, an example of stocks that are all companies that have fallen after. Even CBA have fallen after the float. Uh, and this shows how waiting can save you time and money and lower your risk. Now, in assessing a float, I suggest you head straight for the financials and talk to somebody who understands them before forming your own view. Further, don't get swayed by the brand name of the company. Just because Medibank is floating doesn't mean you need to buy it, if it even if it's a brand name. And Telstra is another one. People got into that brand name and especially got burnt with T2 um, because T1 did okay or did really well. But even today, people that bought T1 are really, when you're talking about inflation and everything else, they're not really that in front or not very, it wasn't a very good investment. Um, so as I said, get into the financials further. Don't get swayed by the company name, as I mentioned. And above all, stay clear of analysts from broking houses involved in the float. Look for people that are independent to the people pushing the float because the independence will give you a much more independent view and unbiased view of it. If you're listening to information, reading information from the broker underwriting the float, then you're going to get that cloudy type of information. Now, if you're determined to buy in a float, then consider investing half now and half six or 12 months down post the float. This may mean entering at a slightly higher price. However, you're less exposed to a company that's sold off post-float, and then you can, and if that actually happens, then you can buy your second half at a lower price and lower your cost down in, which is probably the only reason, so the only place that I would ever consider dollar cost averaging. Um, now, with backdoor listings and reverse takeovers, my views are really pretty much the same as uh, as buying a float, as these companies are or have been private. So then you don't really know what they could uh, with any great certainty prior to, them, prior to them being on the exchange. Therefore, if they announce a capital raising once they obviously list as the reverse takeover or the, the backdoor listing, um, if they announce a capital raising, you really should treat the company as if it's a brand new float and a brand new entity. And in doing so, minimise your risk. Because at the end of the day, is do you really need to buy into it? I often find it's much better to, you know, to trade on what you know, like a BHP or, or a Rio or, uh, you know, Westpac or ANZ or whatever they are. Companies you know are trading, you know that the information you're getting is coming out and is being monitored by the by ASIC and by the ASX in terms of being fair and reasonable. These sorts of things and trying to, you know, get spectacular profits out of something by these floats, um, to me, is a high-risk strategy for a lot of people and, and a best avoided because um, it's 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 much safer and better to do it in a much more um, informed way, I suppose, and, and informed meaning um, not being subjected to the bias of the people pushing these areas, if that makes sense. So anyway, I'll leave all those thoughts with you. You've been listening to um, The Upfront Investor with Dale Gillam here, the Chief Analyst at Wealth Within. Now, before I go, just one more thing I want us to ask you to do. Um, I don't know if I've asked you before. If you're enjoying our podcast, please go into iTunes and uh, go into the podcast for um, Uptrading Upfront Investor and for Talking Wealth and, and write a nice little testimonial for us saying, hey, I really love these podcasts. Dale's great. And the guys at Wealth Within are really good, uh, really give us some really great information. And also rank it as well. That really helps us out. So go into iTunes and do that for us. That would be fantastic if you could do that. Anyway, I'll leave it all with you. Uh, as I said, uh, you've been listening to The Upfront Investor. I'm Dale Gillen. Take care. Have a good week. And I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this week's Upfront Investor podcast. For more information, products and services, and detailed show notes with a transcript for this podcast, head over to wealthwithin.com.au and click on the News and Media tab in the navigation.